If you think about your pension as your salary for later life, you do realize that you need to be generating a salary from your savings because you won't be working. That is the fundamental you know, problem that we're trying to solve here. How will you create your salary for later life? I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespot.com, a thriving community that financially empowers women, author of You're Not Broke, You're Rich, and host of The Wallet. You just heard from Romy Savova, the founder and CEO of Pension B. I met Romy a few years ago in London, and I've always been super impressed by her mission and how passionate she is about advancing consumer standards in the pension industry. Saving for retirement can feel like a distant goal, with pensions often feeling complex and impersonal. It's also an industry that has traditionally been riddled with lack of transparency and confusing jargon. I know, because I've been there myself. But with research finding that by the time a woman is aged 65 to 69, her average pension wealth is roughly a fifth of that of a man the same age. It's obvious that women need to be more empowered to feel confident in saving for their pensions. Romy used to work for large banks and fintechs, holding roles in investment banking, risk management and financial technology. She also has an MBA from Harvard. But when you talk to her, you feel so inspired because she makes pensions clear and simple. Romy is the one person that can get you pumped up about saving for retirement. In this episode, Romy shares how we can better understand our pension plans, the importance of financially planning for later life, and how to get started saving. Pension B also announced their upcoming IPO, initial public offering, and with only 5% of the FTSE 100 CEOs being female, I wanted to hear more about Romy's experience as a female founder working in the financial space and how her organization has achieved complete gender parity. Pension B are also our sponsors for this episode of The Wallet. Pension B has helped over 400,000 customers be pension confident. It enables savers to take control of their finances by helping them transfer their old pensions together into one simple online plan. With Pension B, you can manage your pension like you manage your bank account check your real-time balance, see your projected retirement income, and set up contributions and withdrawals all from the palm of your hand. Plus, you'll get human support from your very own UK-based account manager, or as PensionBee calls them, beekeeper. You can sign up to PensionBee today with the names of your old pension providers in just five minutes. And if you're self-employed, you can start a new pension from scratch. As always with investments, your capital is at risk. Please note that the information made available on this podcast is provided for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. If you have any questions, you should seek advice from an independent financial advisor. Hi, Romy. Hi, Emily. How are you? I'm doing well, surviving under lockdown. How about you? Yeah, same. Yeah, trying to work and, and, and you know, spend time with the, with the children. So happy to have you on the podcast today. We had a you know long conversation. I think it was the at the end of uh, 2019 about you, Pension B. We organized this really cool event. And I wanted to have you on the podcast because so much happened <laughs> over the past year at, at Pension B and, and in your life. <laughs> and you're preparing for big milestones for the company. So today I wanted to talk about pensions, but also about you as a you know female founder, your journey and, and what you know what's coming up Pension B in 2021. So that's really exciting. 
you worked in, in banking before, you worked in fintech and you decided to leave and, and go on a big mission to, you know, revolutionize the world of, of pensions. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, your journey and, and where, where you come from until, you know, maybe launching Pension B? Sure. I mean, as you as you mentioned, I did spend most of my career in, you know, in, in financial services at the large banks, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, always covering the financial services sector. So I had a very good understanding of what the strategic landscape looked like uh, in the UK and major changes that were coming through, major changes on the pension side, frankly, that are designed to make it easier for people to save for later life. And there was a lot of you know, big picture change, but actually very little thought about the consumer and the people who would be accessing these products, these financial products. And when I started to learn about my own pension at Morgan Stanley, and in fact, I had to move it, I just discovered, you know, a nightmare for any normal human being trying to make pension decisions, whether it's pension providers that don't really want to talk to you or advisors that don't want to take you on unless you have a minimum wealth size or large fund supermarkets that bombard you with pay paperwork and thousands of funds to choose from. It was just a very unfriendly experience for a product, a financial product that most people in the UK now have. And it's really important that, you know, for people, there is a solution that makes pensions simple so that they can look forward to retirement. And, and that's really the business you know, concept and, and the vision of the company to make pensions simple so that everyone can look forward to a happy retirement. And you know, the way we've been doing that is by building up this large customer base by offering them a technology platform that enables them to consolidate their pensions, to contribute to their pensions, to grow their pensions over time, and then eventually from the age of 55 to withdraw their pensions. It's been very much a journey of changing the sector and you know, hopefully we've been making some dents. Can I ask you how does pension B work and how do you then you know, manage the investments mm -hmm. or like people's pensions? So it's super easy to sign up and it takes just a couple of minutes to give us some information about your old pensions typically information that you have to hand, like your name, your address, and the name of your old pension provider. We also require a national insurance number in order to make sure we have the right tax identification for you. And after you sign up, really Pension B takes care of the hard work of transferring your old pensions from your existing pension providers into the new online plan with, with Pension B. And this, if you undertake it by yourself, can be a very complicated and time-consuming process that requires you to get intimately familiar with the pension sector. And most people just don't want that in their lives. So we make it easy. And once you are with us, you are invested in a plan that's managed by some of the world's largest money managers. We work with BlackRock, State Street and Legal in General to offer investment products that make sense for people generally. So we have our most popular product, the tailored plan, which invests your money differently and takes on less risk as you grow older, so prepares you for really accessing your pension later on. And we also have an excellent set of responsible investing options, including our most recent addition, the Fossil Fuel Free Plan, uh, which invests your money in companies that are aligned with the Paris Agreement 
and specifically excludes major producers of fossil fuels, as well as tobacco companies and violators of the UN Global Compact. So a plan that very much aligns with the way consumers really want to live their lives generally. So you think that it's been a I mean, I think pensions can be complicated. Even the word like pension <laughs> can be quite scary for, for a lot of people. And they think, okay, I, you know, I don't want to deal with that. I'll deal with it later because maybe I'm too young. How do you help people and motivate people to, to understand that, you know, pension is really key for their financial future? Yes, I think it's a long-term learning experience when it comes to finances. It's important to let finances be integrated into your daily life. I think with pensions, it's been particularly complex because the pensions industry has made them feel distant by sending you a pack of paperwork, you know, with 20 to 30 different pages approximately once a year. And for most people, that doesn't really feel like their money often right? It, it doesn't feel like it's an actual saving that they have. It feels like a piece of paper, a large pack of paperwork that has arrived and that you're going to put in a drawer to maybe read, you know, when you get the time. And we're all guilty of filling up these drawers with unopened post. That is just the reality of, of modern life, even under coronavirus. And so what we do is we make it much more real. We show a daily balance that you can see exactly how much you've saved. We have really handy retirement calculators that help you effectively forecast how much you might receive at retirement, depending on whether you make contributions or not. And we have breakdowns of how your pension is invested so that you can get to know your pension a bit better. And I think bringing that information into people's fingertips is what makes the pension feel much closer to them and it makes them feel real ownership over it, which is ultimately what you know, what we want as a company, it's what consumers need. It's also what the country and the government wants. They want us to be taking more responsibility for our retirements. Yeah. And a question I get very often from women is how much money should I save? <laughs> and when should I start saving? And I'm too young and I don't have enough money. So, you know, of course, we, we have a certain like saving capacity, but we can also find, you know, lots of excuses to actually postpone this decision to, to start saving. I know you can't give like individual answer, but how can someone understand how much money they should be saving for, for their future? So I, I'll take the second question first in terms of when to start. With investing and with pensions in generally, the earlier you start, the better because of the way that returns work. So if you invest £100 early on, it can yield a much higher return over the long term than if you invest £100 10 years later. And that's just the way that investing works because you keep reinvesting any profit that you make on your initial investment, thereby increasing the total amount of returns that you get over a longer period of time. So the earlier, the better. In terms of how much, it's a fairly controversial topic because on the one hand, you want people to be saving a fair amount of money. If you think about your pension as your salary, For later life, you do realize that you need to be generating a salary from your savings because you won't be working. That is the fundamental you know, problem that we're trying to solve here. How will you create your salary for later life? 
today you earn a salary and you have spending pressure. You have competing demands on that salary. You know, you and I both have children, which I think are potentially the most competing demand on anyone's salary. (laughs) And of course, you know, you have things that you want to enjoy today. Good news is you are probably already saving into a pension. Anyone who is automatically enrolled by their employer is contributing a minimum of 8%. And even during coronavirus and furlough, the support for pension contributions has been very strong. The government even made pension contributions for furloughed employees uh, at the start of the pandemic. And subsequently, any employers who claimed furlough were required to make pension contributions themselves as well. So your lawyer and the government is very much contributing into your pension fund. But that is roughly 8% of your qualifying earnings. And the typical number that's cited as to how much you should be saving is roughly 15% of your salary. So there is still a sizable gap that we need to close. My recommendation would be to do your best to try and save as much as you can to reach that goal of 15% over time and not to be put off it by thinking you need to reach it all on day one. Yeah. And I think what you have on your website is really useful, your your pension calculators. And, you know, I've, I've been using them. It can be quite scary at first when you use these calculators. And, and first of all, you have to understand how much money you already have in your pension. And maybe you have zero and, and it's fine and you need to start somewhere. And then depending on how much money you want when you retire, is it, you know, 15K, 20K, 30K, 50K, how much money you should then put every month into your pension. So that can be a big, big number. Uh, but I think it's good to have this, you know, reality check and, and have, have some financial goals and aim for th- for something. Yes, absolutely. It, it is a target, you know, that I think it's worth being aware of. And you need to plan for your salary later on. We do so much planning for today's salary. We, we go to work, we think about our career moves, we think about what we want to do with our lives, but we need to think about tomorrow's salary as well. Yeah. And for, for women, I think we have an, an extra issue yes. here. <laughs> women earn less and, and black women, women of color, you know, even even worse. And then this, gonna, this is going to have an impact on, you know, how much money we can save, how much money we can invest. We also tend to take career breaks to take care of families, not necessarily children, but, you know, people around us. We're still the primary carers. How do we bridge the gap? Because in the end, women retire with, I mean, there's different statistics, but, you know, one fifth of pension savings of men. Do we need to save harder? It's an awful number. I think that there's a few tricks and a few suggestions. They might not make sense for everyone, but it's worth putting them out there. I think the first one is the starting early point. So when we look at, you know, women in their 20s and 30s, the pay gap is substantially smaller. As a result, the pension gap is also substantially smaller. So that is really an opportune moment in life to be putting away more into your pension and bearing in mind that it will grow over time. So I think really taking that opportunity while you are young to make those decisions can be very beneficial later on. The second piece is around when you are family planning It's no secret that women tend to take more maternity leave than men. Not always true, but generally true. And it's not unreasonable to think about your pension as an additional child expense. You know, when I was having my kids and I was building the list of all the things that we need to buy, you should 
plop your pension contribution onto the list because if you aren't working during a period of time and you know you aren't as a result saving it's important that you think about how you can bridge that gap proactively the other thing i learned through that process is that you don't need a lot of baby clothing that's just another tip that i'll pass on <laughs> uh, it all gets dirty anyway so i think proactively planning around these life moments is beneficial and likewise i think if you come into you know an unexpected i don't want to call it a windfall because i think these days it's it's rarely a windfall but if if you do get an extra incoming for example you know if you're self employed and you bill a, a large invoice or if you are gifted something by a relative then it can make sense to insert a lump sum into your pension to make up for any differences that may have come along around the way and the reason that it's very good to do that is because the government also helps you so for every 100 pounds you put in the government adds another 25 in the form of basic rate tax relief and a pension provider like pension b will get that 25 pounds automatically for you and put it into your pension and then if you're a higher rate or additional rate taxpayer you can claim even more through your annual self assessment but it's about taking advantage of these opportune life moments to to try and bridge that gap because if you just leave it to society and if you leave it to nature then what is a gender pay gap ultimately results in a lifelong wealth discrepancy between men and women which is completely undesirable do you think the the government is doing something or you know financial companies to try to help bridge this gap i think the best thing that can be done is to bridge the gender pay gap because that's the ultimate source of the pension gap i have had a thought around well should there be different rates of tax support for women than for men when it comes to pension saving but i think once you look into the issues and the complexity that that would raise it becomes quite difficult to implement so i think closing the pay gap is the most important part of getting this right and we all have a role to play in that you know we have a role to play whether we are employers and we have a role to play in making explicit decisions that men and women should be paid at the same levels and we have a role to play as consumers i think because if we believe that there shouldn't be pay gaps then we should vote with our money and we should vote with our wallets and I, and i think a lot of people do believe that so i would be very interested to see us overall as a society taking more of an interest in good corporate citizens that are behaving in line with what we want to see as a society yeah thank you romi i wanted to talk about you know your role as you know clearly like a leading uh, you know female founder in the financial space there's not so many you know women working in finance and women in senior positions in finance you announced that you you're working on an IPO of pension b so we'll talk a little bit about that but how is it to be a woman working in finance do you think it's challenging and how can we you know make it like more positive and see more women uh, potentially entering the space because i worked in finance for you know for a long time before i think it's it's amazing for women to work in finance and and you know first of all for you know the money and if you work in a bank that gives you such a big head start in life so how can we you know open up and get you know more women into the space and make the space more more diverse 
Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a tricky question. I, as I think back to my analyst classes and, you know, when you are first, you know, joining a large financial services company, it, it's not that uneven in the entry levels, actually. The problem is when you look up and you see that, you know, there are very few women who are in senior managerial positions. And I think the unfortunately, a lot of women drop out along the way or they change career like you and I did and, you know, and, and, and find other things to do. And so really it's about that career progression and, and how to nurture career progression with, within the organization. I think businesses need to be very explicit about that being desirable and more than just paying lip service to it because... It's fine to have policies, but then if you if you look around and it doesn't look like the policies are being enforced, I think people soon start to doubt whether the policies are real. So I think that you actually need to take a very, very proactive approach to ensuring that there is gender balance and all sorts of balance actually across all ranks of an organization. And you can only really do that if the senior leadership decides that they want to do it and that's a desirable thing to do. I think that it's it's really for senior management to, you know, often I think set themselves goals. And I think that through goal setting and through, you know, tying, I would think, compensation to achievements around diversity, can we actually achieve the goals of the company? I think they need to be tied to real measures and, and metrics of success that matter for people at senior levels of, of any financial services company. So I would be quite interested to see that coming into action. I mean, we made a very firm commitment around our desire to maintain gender balance across the company. So when I think about, you know, is it is it hard for me to work as a woman in finance? And I look around and, you know, half my team is women. <laughs> and throughout the rest of the company, we, we are fairly, you know, gender balanced. It's not hard for me because, you know, we have that within, within Pension B. But I do often, you know, still get, you know, when we're hiring for roles and, you know, you read the letters that come through and, you know, women will tell you, you know, I really want to work for your company because, you know, I've been a woman in finance for the past 20 years. And this whole time I've been working only with men. And, and I feel that that is a detriment to me. So I definitely do think that it weighs on women to find themselves alone through the ranks. It's important to change it. Very important to change it. And I mean, it, it's amazing to see how your, you know, your growing pension be. And this is also at the core of, of what you do and have, you know, leaders in the space. I interviewed also Jill Jackson a few, a few weeks ago. So, you know, it's, it's amazing to hear like your journeys and, and what you're going through. And now I feel, you know, pension B has, has been growing. You've been raising money over the, over the years to grow the business. Was this a challenge for you as a female founder? I think for, for me in particular, I found the environment quite supportive for fundraising. And I think that a lot of that has to do that I do have a banking and finance background. And I think that that is frankly what's what's helpful, right? You know, you've worked with investors before, obviously in a different capacity, you are able to expand your network and meet lots of people, people who would be interested in investing. And so for us, because we've raised most of our capital through angel investing, which has come through personal networks, you know, we as a business have been very fortunate. But I, the statistics tell you that the situation for women in terms of fundraising is dire, less than 5% according to some surveys of 
capital is allocated to female-owned businesses. And, and you do have to wonder why that is. I think it, it comes down to a lot of things. I think, first of all, a lot of the people making the allocation decisions are male. And sometimes if you don't see people who, who look like you, it can reduce your level of trust in them and your level of confidence. You know, another factor is a reduced network. If you don't start working out in, in finance, and frankly, very few people do start working out in finance. Yeah. So, so I think those things can, can make it challenging. There are a lot of female-oriented networking groups and opportunities for women to meet other women and to encourage them you know, to become investors. And we see that movement for female-led investing growing and growing and growing, but it's not the kind of thing that, that changes overnight. No, and it will take time. And actually, I'm thinking about last week, we saw the, the IPO of Bumble mm -hmm. uh, in the US with Whitney Wolf becoming, you know, one of the youngest self-made billionaires. So you think, you know, growing a business, you know, making it public, she made a lot of money for, you know, for herself. But that will also, I believe, have an impact on, you know, female founders and just, you know, redistributing some, some of this wealth. You're going for an IPO with Pension B, so that's you know that was in the press. Can you tell me, you know, you know, why do you need funding? Why is it important for you to to be public? And maybe we'll talk a little bit about you know what what does that imply on a you know company level and, and personal level in terms of of commitment? Sure. So I mean, I think just to take a step back around you know IPO, why why IPO? It, you know, feels like every day you open the newspaper and and you're reading about a, a successful IPO. It is definitely a transaction that is having global impact and reach. And if if you take a step back and you think about you know what is an IPO, it's it's really the process of converting the company from being a privately owned company to being a publicly owned company, meaning that some proportion of the company's shares of the company's capital will be put into the hands of public market investors. And in order to go through that process of you know, moving from being private to, to being public is, well, first of all, it's quite, it's quite an endurance test. You do have to prepare quite a lot of things. You, you have to have an independent board of directors, which you know we've been fortunate enough to have pretty much since inception. You do have to have a very you know, high level of transparency, which actually appeals to us very much as a company. We like being transparent with our customers and with society generally. We, we like opening ourselves up to feedback. We think that that improves us as a company. So it's actually very much aligned with the way we like to run the business anyway. And then, of course, you know, it is an opportunity to raise capital. And we are an exceptionally high growth business and have been investing in building our technology and in growing our customers customer base for years and years and years. And so we do intend to raise capital. In fact, our whole listing is oriented around raising new capital in order to be able to accelerate the growth of the business even further. You know, we've been very fortunate to have had, you know, astonishing growth rates every single year, pretty much, you know, doubling our assets under administration and our customer base on, on an annualized basis. But when we look at the overall market and the overall opportunity for a service like Pension B, 
we we see that there is you know still quite a lot left right and there are still so many millions of people that are stuck in the pension quagmire of receiving the annual statement and putting it in their door and so we would love to be able to reach more of them and and we need capital to be able to do that uh, and so the prospective listing as i must call it is designed to really raise the ability of the company to grow even more and what makes it a very special corporate transaction for us and probably the most special you know, corporate event that any company can have is that we would love for our customers to be a part of that journey with us. We have also had press announcing that we will be facilitating our customers to join a prospective IPO when the time comes. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, when you want to raise this large amount of, of money to grow your company, uh, there's different ways to do it. So you could have gone through the route of, you know, venture capital potentially, but you decided to go maybe like a more public route. Is it to allow actually your community to, to participate in the transaction? Well, we think it's a really opportune moment in our own you know, in our own trajectory as, as a business. And we feel it very much as a natural next step. As part of the process of being listed, the profile of the company increases and our ability to reach more people increases. And, and that yeah. is entirely different to what happens if you if you go down a venture route. So for us, it, it feels like a very conducive, natural next step that can also, again, help to deliver even more growth of the business. That's really what, what makes it much more attractive. And, you know, the typical reasons why people don't do it, which is around governance and transparency, you know, we actually like those things. So for us, it makes perfect sense. And I guess you're having a very busy uh, month. I know you can tell us a, a lot more about it, but but practically, you know, what do you have to prepare for, for an IPO? I was I was on this side when I worked in, in banking, helping pre companies prepare for the IPO. I know it's a lot of work. So can you tell us what, you know, what you're working on? <laughs> I can't tell you what I'm working on, but I can give you some general highlights as to what, you know, preparing for, for a listing entails. It's, it's, it's a fair amount of documentation and ensuring that all of the company's processes are ready for the disclosures required of a company when it becomes public. There's also usually the preparation of a very large document called a prospectus, which is the document that anyone investing into the listing should use to base their investment decisions on. And then, of course, there's preparation of materials that are used to engage with investors. Uh, so all in all, a fairly intensive process, but one that I think ultimately leaves you well prepared for operating a business on, you know, on a public level. Amazing. In 2020, so if I look at, you know, last year, only 5% of FTSE 100 CEOs were women. And at, you know, at the current rate of growth, it would take maybe, you know, 80 years for the number of oh. female FTSE 100 CEOs to reach 50%. <laughs> You're clearly leading the way. What would you say to, you know, women who are maybe a bit earlier in their journey, you know, building their businesses, and are really looking to, you know, to grow and, and make a change and impact. And I guess, you know, getting funding is a big part of it. So what are maybe the lessons uh, you've learned in, in this process? I think some of the, you know, the, the core lessons is to always put your customers first. I think that that applies whether you're, you know, you're going for listing or, or, or whether you're going for, for something else. Because by doing that, you are able to build the long lasting foundations of your business. And we have, you know, so many processes and systems that are just designed around hearing the voice of our customers and what it is they want from us as yeah. a pension provider and, you know, trying to 
always use you know our capabilities to make pensions better for for our customers so i think anyone who finds themselves in a business position their their number one focus should always be their customers and more than just what it says on their website they actually need systems and processes in place to be able to take the feedback that they are getting from their customers and turn it into real products. That is my number one piece of advice because if you are doing well by your customer, your business will grow. And if your business is growing, you will raise capital. And if you raise capital, you will be able to continue growing. So all of it is quite a, you know, it's it's, it's a fundamental circle, uh, a virtuous circle yeah. that really starts with focusing on the customer. So I would recommend to anyone to, you know, whether it's women or whether it's men to, to really, really hone in on that. And once you do that, the other metrics, the growth metrics, they follow. I have uh, three quick fire questions for you, Romy. <laughs> <laughs> What is the best financial decision you've ever made? Best financial decision made would be probably to save into my pension from an early age. I, I think so. I think especially, you know, since starting Pension B, I've been quite disciplined about putting money into my pension at Pension B. And it's wonderful to be able to see the results of that. So definitely, definitely my top one. What is the worst financial decision you've made? I'm going to answer this one honestly, and it's really from a financial standpoint. But I think that having children is probably the biggest financial cost in any in any household. And, you know, you you just need to be prepared for it. You need to do the appropriate planning and you need to decide that that is, you know, that is what will make you happy. But I think don't underestimate the costs. <laughs> And what are the things you spend the most money on at the moment? I think I've just answered that question too. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, they are they are what makes everything and life worthwhile. So I think a very worthwhile investment in, in happiness. Great. No, thank you, Romy. Finally, is there anything else you'd like to, to share, you know, with our listeners, maybe on, you know, your journey or something you've learned? Yes, I think I suppose my final tidbit to share is take the time in lockdown, take the time in COVID to to get on top of your personal finances and get on top of your pension. It's it's one of the most important investments that you have and it's one of the most important investments you can make in yourself. Romy, thank you so much. It's so useful and we'll do a lot more about, you know, pensions, but I'm so happy that we can partner uh, with too. each other and you're, you know, <laughs> very proud to have you on board and I wish you, uh, you know, all the best. Thank you, Emily. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of seconds to rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our community on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe to our newsletter on vespot.com. Feel free to email me with your comments and questions over at emily at Thank you. Speak to you soon. <laughs>